Well, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everybody. I, I hope you had a, a great holiday time spending it with family and, and the goofy stuff that goes on. I know there's lots of family traditions that, that seem to always happen. And, you know, my family, we started a new one this year, and it's, it's always a good time. But I, I'm never, I'm never, um, it's like I think I know everything about my kids that there is to know. I think, I, I think that I've got it. I think that I can't be surprised by them, kind of like the Hobbit. You think you know everything there is to know about Hobbits, and then they do something more. It's like kids. And, and my son is this enigma to me, because I think I have him completely figured out, and then he'll just say something. The other day, he's in his room playing with Legos. And, and he's, doing, he's got like Gandalf and, and, and Frodo and, and Darth Vader, because in Lego world you can do that. And, and they're, he, he's doing all this stuff, and he's saying, well, if this is going on, well, then this is going to go on. I said, Brandon, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just doing some inferencing, Dad. <laughs> You're seven. I'm 35. I don't know what inferencing is. What the heck are you talking about? And he, and he just shocks me, and he floors me with these, like, statements. There was a time where, you know, being the pastor that I am, I obviously live the ultimate godly example for my children. <laughs> they could tell you the real story behind me. But we're sitting at the dinner table one night, and, and we do. We pray before our meals. And, and so I said, all right, Brandon, would you please pray? And he prays. And then when we're finished, he says, all right, let's sing the doxology. <laughs> You're seven. How do you know what the doxology is? When I ask this question, in my heart I'm going... Because, Jamie, you're such a good pastor dad. Your son knows what the doxology is. And Brandon starts singing the doxology. So we stood up. I mean, what do you do? And so I did. I asked the question. I said, Brandon, how do you know what the doxology is? And when I expected him to say, because of you, dearest dad, he says, oh, we do that every week in kids' ministry. Kids' ministry. It's my thunder they're stealing. And it's amazing to me because... There's been countless times where my son will floor me. He's seven years old, and he floors me with his love and and devotion to God. We were going to a Steeler game last year, and he said, Dad, I need six bucks. I want to buy a hoagie. I'm like, Brandon, you just ate. You don't need a hoagie. He's like, Dad, I need a hoagie. I'm like, goodness sake. So I give him the money. We get a hoagie, and then he hands it to a homeless guy. Man, I'm a jerk. I think I get it, but he gets it. And it's not because he's watching me. It's because he loves God. And I'm just, I'm floored, and I'm amazed by that. And he always says these words that anger me. I learned that in kids' ministry, Dad. (laughs) I want some of this credit. Come on. But the truth be told, the kids' ministry in this church is phenomenal. And my son amazes me at at the ripe age of seven. Scripture's good, isn't it? I mean, the Bible is really good. We've got a great passage of Scripture here this morning that we're going to dive into. And so if you would just take your Bibles and turn to Luke 2 uh, with me right now. You all right? I actually kind of want to take a moment to stop you for a moment and kind of turn to a Scripture. Brad, I'm preaching. I know. But it's kind of laid on my heart that I should be up here telling the congregation as Christ Church. Okay. Uh, as the 9 o'clock service, the third service. To um, kind of turn with me if you want. I mean, whoever has their Bibles, you're welcome to do this. But it's 2 Timothy um, 3, verse 14. And um, whenever God decides to say, you know what, I'm going to send Brad Corey down to the earth through Kim Corey, which is my mom. And I'm going to make him like this. I have a purpose for Brad Corey. 
And each and every one of us has a creator, and each of us have a mother. And whenever you're born, you are told to do certain things, right? So, like, don't put your elbows on the dinner table. It's rude. Don't burp in front of people because it's rude. Don't fart because people aren't even allowed to say that word until I'm, like, 12 years old. But we're all told to do certain things because that's just how we were raised. And whenever we're told things, we listen. Sometimes we break the rules. Sometimes we get caught, and we learn from those mistakes. So why is it any different whenever the creator of the stars has a book right here telling us everything we need to know, everything that we have as a map for our lives is right in this book. And it says that, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and all have become convinced of, because you know those from who you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. From infancy, people have been telling you about the name of Jesus, and maybe not, which is just how you grew up, which is fine. But now that you know the name of Jesus, it's our job as people of Jesus to be reading what he tells us. Because if not, how are you going to say you love something so much without knowing anything about them? It's kind of difficult because whenever you're married to somebody, you don't just say, yeah, I don't know my wife. I don't really know my husband. Because you do. You love them. And this is what it says. And lost my page. Found it again. Okay. And from infancy, you have known the scriptures, what are able to make you wise, which are able to make you wise to have knowledge to go whenever something happens in your life, whenever you hit those stumps and you literally have nowhere else to go but up because you finally hit that floor ground, you become wise and you go to the scriptures and you say that I have my armor of God put on me. All scriptures is God, is God breathed, is God breathed, literally saying that this is exactly what God intended for us to know and that this is written perfectly for us. And it's useful for teaching. Really? That's what this is. So every single one of us comes to church to learn about what Christ said to us and what he's done and why that cross is hanging up there empty, not full, because there is a body who sits at the right hand of God because of this book and because of that cross. So I think it's our job as people of God to read at least a little bit of what he has to tell us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Can I, can I, okay. Thanks, Brad. All right. Well, there you go. So where was I? I don't know what to do with that. Um, Thank you, Brad. That was, that was beautiful. Here we are in the book of Luke. And we've got this story. We've got this story of of Jesus. And uh, it's an interesting story. Because here you have this, this, this holiday festival going on, kind of like we just had Christmas. We, we just had this big holiday, and everybody's coming home for family. And in the Jewish tradition, what would happen is, is there was three major holidays that you as a Jewish family would celebrate. There was the Feast of Tabernacles, there was the Passover Feast, and there was Pentecost. Pentecost was like this celebration of the first harvest. And, and so the time of Passover is this time where Israel experienced their liberation kind of from Egypt. It's like their 4th of July almost in a spiritual way. And so you've got these families that they would make these pilgrimages from where they live to the capital in Jerusalem. And so here you've got Mary and Joseph and, and their kids. They decide they're going to go from Nazareth, which is about three days away, and they're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to celebrate. 
And now a lot of us look at this portion of Scripture because this is a story about how, how Mary kind of lost Jesus. And, and oftentimes we'll look at that, and I, I've heard it preached before, that, that this passage is about how we lose Jesus, but the reality of it is it, it isn't. Because I want you to put yourself in Uncle Vince's shoes right now. All right, Here his kid just walks up on stage and starts preaching to you. Right? Here he is, he just comes up and he starts reading scripture to you. Vince didn't know what was happening. And to be honest with you, Jesus is about 12 years old as this story is taking place. And so as this story is taking place, Jesus is one year from being on his own. Just like Brad's getting ready to head off to college and be on his own. See, an 18-year-old now is kind of like a 12-year-old back in the day. And so a lot of times we look at Mary and we go, Mary, how could you lose your child? Are you kidding me? You left your kid in the, in the downtown? And, and we like to kind of point our finger and say, how could you do this? But when the reality of it is, how many of you guys have high school kids that are running around and you kind of know what they're doing? Right? So it's pretty harsh of us to look at Mary and say, well, you're doing this wrong, Mary. She's got the Son of God as her son. She goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. Now, the fact that Mary goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast is actually a big deal just in the fact that she went with them. Because in the Jewish tradition, in that custom, the women, unless you were super uh, spiritual, you did not go on the Passover journey, or you did not leave your home to go to Tabernacles or to go to Pentecost. If a woman went with the family, and if the kids went with the family... That meant they're like church folks. I mean, they're for real about their faith. And so in this story, when we, when we read this opening little sequence of how they went from, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, you're hearing a lot about Mary and her family. You're hearing that they're devoted to God, that they're very serious about their faith, and that their kids are serious about their faith. As I said, it was a three-day journey, so they would travel in these caravans of people. And, and, you know, we do trips with the youth group. There's like a bajillion kids, and we have these big caravans of people. You've got to constantly be paying attention, because we're not talking about 8.6-pound baby Jesus anymore from Christmas. We're talking about middle school Jesus. We're talking about the middle school Jesus who wants to know as much as he can possibly know and, and go around and get knowledge. So it's not like Jesus is just standing at the side of his mother going like this. He's running around. He's checking out the animals. He's probably in the temple wanting to know what's being taught. It says in this word that he's sitting there asking questions of the, Pharisees, of, of the teachers and of the preachers. And then he didn't just sit there and listen to their teaching, but he began to dialogue with them about theology. Jesus began to dialogue with them about the things of God. And a lot of us think, well, that's just Jesus doing that because he's ultimately the Son of God, and uh, you know, he has to do that. No. Jesus isn't doing this because he's some deity. Jesus is doing this from the human perspective. His desire to know and have knowledge about his Father, about God comes from his human sense of wanting to know what his calling is in his life. And so we've got this big old soap opera panning out. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Mary and Joseph? 
Your, your kid's running around, you think he's with his cousins or, or, or with some other family members, and all of a sudden, it's, a, it's like a home alone for, for back in Bethlehem, okay? They come to the realization that they have left Jesus. Now, can you imagine what that would have been like to be Mary? I just lost the Son of God. <laughs> can you imagine that moment? Not only that, they're a day away from Jerusalem already. And so they're a day away from Jerusalem, so you have this, oh my gosh, moment, we better find Jesus. And I'm not talking about the you need to find Jesus moment. I'm talking about they literally lost Jesus. And so they start hightailing it back to Jerusalem. Now they've abandoned their caravan. They've put themselves in danger. How many of you guys ever had your kid wander off? I see a lot of you do this after church. Where is he? And you look around. That's this moment. They get to Jerusalem. And I'm sure Mary's looking everywhere for Jesus. And she walks into the temple and he gets, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you get over here now. Where have you been? It isn't like this happy-go-lucky, oh, there's our boy teaching the Pharisees. It's get off the stage. What are you doing? I love the way the Bible says it. (laughs) Because when they say it, it says it's kind of funny. I'm going to read the scriptures to you. Is that all right? Let's read this story. It says, Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Again, parents, that S, meaning Mary and Joseph, super spiritual family. Awesome. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind uh, in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then he began to look for him among the, then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, well, I'm going to stop there. There's got to be that moment where I'm sure Uncle Vince had it this morning where he's looking at his son preaching the word of God going, that's my boy. And there's like this pride in him. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph were going, that's my boy who I'm going to kill. Right? Because the very next word, this is great, it's awesome. Then he began looking for him. After three days they found him. Everyone who heard him was astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I know that's what the scripture said. But can you imagine that? I'm sure that word anxiously in Hebrew sounds really fun. Right? (laughs) They're, They're getting at Jesus saying, why did you treat us this way? Now, for us, we have been taught that Jesus has never sinned. Right? Now, I want you to just delve down a road with me right now. Hang in there. How many of you parents in this room right now are going, ooh, Jesus, sinned? How many of you would kill your kid if this, you, found, you couldn't find your kid for three hours after leaving church only to find him sitting downstairs in the youth room playing video games with Pastor Robbie, talking about theology? You would be mad. I've seen it. In this moment, we're going, how did Jesus not sin in all of this? Mary says, why have you done this thing to us? Jesus replies to her, Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? 
Now, I'm not sure how Mary would respond to that. Would she respond with a, what? Would it be, I get it? Now, you've got to understand, this family has seen a lot of stuff. From angels to stars to the birth of the Christ child. They're seeing this, t- this thing unfolding in a very different light than many of us would have. Because it is the Son of God. And so they listen. They didn't understand what he was saying to them. And he went na- down to Nazareth with them. This is what I love about Jesus. In this moment, he's this 12-year-old kid saying, where else am I going to be? I'm going to be at Dad's house. Mary's like, what are you talking about, Jesus Christ of Nazareth? But Jesus does this. Instead of saying, woman, you were crazy. I am the Son of God. This is where I must learn. What does Jesus do in this moment? He shuts his mouth and he obeys his mother. Kids, are you listening? (laughs) He shuts his mouth and he obeys his mother. And it says in the next thing that he went down to Nazareth. Um, Excuse me. Then he went to Nazareth with them and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all the things in her heart and just grew in wisdom and stature and fervor with God and men. So what Mary had seen, she was just ecstatic about. She saw her baby boy teaching at the temple. She saw her baby boy making sense out of things that maybe she didn't even understand. Sure, she was angry as fire at him. But he's Jesus, and he submitted. And he, and he didn't sin in it. And he listened to his mother. And they caravanned around, and Jesus became more known because of this incident with the community and with his family. Now, when we look at this story, we can go, what can we really learn from this other than don't lose your Jesus? Well, I'm here to tell you, this actually has nothing to do with losing your Jesus as much as it has to do with telling us how we should be raising our families and selves. Because when you look at this story, there's some things that were really going right in this story. Even when Jesus was lost... There were some things that were going right. Jesus makes this bold statement that I'm about the business of my father. I'm not going to be anywhere else. In this passage, this is where Jesus, this is the final passage of kind of the baby Jesus story. I know he's 12, but that's kind of how it's viewed as the last story of the child Christ because from this point on, it's his ministry. And so we see Jesus going to the temple, being about his father's business. He, he identifies with this intimate, deep relationship he has with God. And that relationship that he has with God, that love of God, his Abba Father, as God's child, he looks at that and that drives him to want to know more about his father in heaven. Seeing his mother and father Joseph live a godly life has caused him to want to know more about God. Being included in the Passover feast has caused him to want to know more about God. Jesus had a desire for scripture, according to this passage. Not because he was the son of God, when he was the, some, he was the deity but because he was the son of God and human and had a desire to know what his will for his life was. And the only place he could think of to get that was seeking God, seeking God's word by being in community with a church of believers. Amen? Amen. 
This is good stuff. Jesus demonstrates to us, his family demonstrates to us how we as a Christian body should be raising ourselves up in this coming year. We need to be a body of believers who's about community. It didn't say that Joseph and Mary and Jesus and and his family all went to Jerusalem by themselves. They went with the community. In the Jewish tradition, there's a saying that it takes a community to raise a family. Jesus grew up in this. And I'm here to tell you, in America today, we are tragically missing this. We are missing communities. We want to blame guns. We want to blame video games. We want to blame movies for all the garbage that's happening in our society. I'm going to tell you right now, it's because we're not in community with one another. We've alienated ourselves from one another. And we live in this world of technology where the average student today can't even have a conversation with somebody while looking them in the eyes. It takes a community church to raise a family. It takes a community church to grow yourself in Christ. Jesus was in a small group, and he's the son of God. He was learning and sharpening himself with 12 other guys. Granted, they may have been a bag of hammers, but he was in a small group. He was teaching. He was learning. He submitted to John the Baptist. Jesus was part of a community of believers. He was a part of a family of believers. He had deep relationships within his family. He obeyed his mother and father. He honored his mother and father. Do we do that today, church? Do we honor our parents? Hey, middle-aged and old folks, do we honor our parents? I don't always honor my mother the way I should. She's still my mom. She's part of my community. We're to be in a community of believers who's following God. Now, for some of us, it may not be our, 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 our birth family. I watched this week as one of my youth leaders went down and almost died, deathly ill, and I watched as the church family surrounded them and loved on this family, and it was so encouraging to see the church be what God intended the church to be, a community of believers that loves each other for the sake of Christ. Are we that? Do we care about one another that way? Do you care about your family? Do you care about your neighbors? Do you know who your neighbors are? I'm talking about your immediate neighbors. Maybe you live in an apartment building. Who lives next door to you? What's their story? Are you a part of that community? Are you being the light in darkness? Jesus demonstrates to us that we're to be the hands and feet of God. That when we belong to a community of believers, we're to be the hands and feet of God. Now listen to me. Jesus didn't immediately, at the age of 12, the first time he goes into the temple and starts doing the teaching and stuff, he didn't say, Mother, I am above all this. I am now going to go off and be Jesus. He submitted to God's timing. Because at 12, the timing for Jesus to start his ministry was not yet. And I know there's a lot of you in here right now. Maybe you're struggling with what God's calling is for your life. And the answer that you have been given is to wait. Listen to me. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, at one point in his life was told to wait. He waited from the time he was 12 to about the time he was 30 plus. That's a long time for the Son of God to wait. Your one year of waiting may not be that bad. If God is telling you to wait, understand his timing is perfect, that he has a calling for your life. He wants you to be the hands and feet of God, but you've got to be prepared to be the hands and feet of God. God is not going to offer you up as a slaughter to the enemy by putting you into ministry when you are not prepared, just as he did it with Jesus. Do you hear me on that? Church, we're called to be in community to help us grow, to strengthen us, to sharpen us. This place is not just about worship. Now hear me on this because I think a lot of churches will, will take this type of stuff and they'll run with it. This is a place where we worship God, but this is also a place where we learn about God, where we teach about God, where we learn what it is to be a community. And so the church as, a, as, an, as an organism, as this body, as this living, breathing thing, we're to be there for one another to help teach, as we heard from our young friend earlier, all scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for rebuking, for teaching. I'm going to tell you what, the worst thing on this planet is for not someone to call you out on something. It's it's how you know they love you when they tell you your breath stinks. You hear me say that all the time. And in community, we can do that. Because if Brad LeBlocken comes up to me and says, Jamie, yada, 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 I know he loves me. And if my breath stinks, I need to know about it. I need to be accountable. He's going to hold me accountable to the word of God. You need to hold each other accountable to the word of God. And you need to hold yourselves accountable to the word of God. Amen? It's a good word. How can you be in a community of believers? Help and sharpen one another. How how can you be in a community of believers where you're saying, I care about you. I want to be with you. I want to sharpen you. I want to help reveal God to you. How can you be in a community of believers if you're not being the hands and feet of God? And how can you be the hands and feet of God if you're not in his scriptures? The ultimate thing about this passage of scriptures that I get is that Jesus was driven by a relationship with his father. And in his humanness, he went after the knowledge of God. Not by sitting around praying saying, Daddy, give it to me. He got his nose into the temple. He got his nose into the scriptures. He began to read. He devoted himself to the things of the Father, as he told us. I am about the things of the Father. And Jesus devoted his life to community, to being the hands and feet of God but more so to, to, to reading the scriptures of God. Do you get that? That Jesus Christ himself sat down and dropped his notes. Jesus Christ himself sat down and read the scriptures and began to just want to know more about God. And because of that, he became to know his father more. Now, if my son were to sit down and read a book about my life, he would know a lot about me. <laughs> And Jesus is telling us we need to be in community. We need to be the hands and feet of God. And church, we need to be in the scriptures. I'm amazed by how many books we read about the Bible. I'll save you a lot of money. Read the Bible. Amen? Jesus did it. 
the relationship he had with God, his father drove him. Listen to me. Do you have a relationship with God? Because the honest truth is, as much as Jesus was the Son of God, guess what the Bible tells us? That we are the adopted children of God. He is our Father too. And because He's our Father too, that relationship should drive us to want to know more about Him. Listen to me. You need people in your life other than just you to help you grow spiritually. It is ridiculous for me as the preacher father to have this rivalry with children's ministry. I sit at the table after Sunday and I go, what'd you learn in church, Brandon? And he spurts off all this beautiful biblical knowledge. And in my heart, I'm going, children's ministry. I want that glory. When I should be going, my kid knows about Jesus. Because of the community that he is in. It's not because of anything that I've done. It's not because of what children's ministry has done. It's because of what God has done. And if you're in a community and you're being the hands and feet of God and you're studying the scriptures, the only thing you're going to want to do is know more about God. Amen? And, and, And it sounds really easy the way I'm saying it, but I'm telling you, that is a difficult task to strive to be like Christ. People inviting people into their families' lives to help minister to their children. How many of you are parents and have tried to coach your kid at sports? You know that sometimes you just need other people in your life to help. And if you're part of a godly Christian community, you will have people to sharpen you, you will have people to be hands and feet with, and you will have people to help you understand the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? God didn't say isolation mode, go do your thing. He said community. Christ church, if we're serious about being the church, this is only a part of what we do. This is the part where we get to celebrate God. But there's a whole other part to this Christian life where we get to walk with one another and we get to help one another. We get to rejoice with one another. If you come down sick, I hope that you have to tell people to stay away because the church should just pour love on you. And God is good. And middle school Jesus just taught us all that. Hands and feet in the scriptures and in community. Maybe you don't know how to do that. Maybe you're going to yourself, I I don't know what that looks like. Well, here's a way that we as a church want to encourage you to start. New Year's coming up, let's make a resolution. We've got these little reading plans, these through the uh, Bible in a year plans. And this is my challenge to you uh, from a pastor to a church. And I'm, I'm doing this right now. I'm going through this as well. Um, and, and it's intense. Grab this. They're going to be out in the commons areas at the Welcome Tent Center, I do believe, right? Yep, they're going to be at the Welcome Center. You can grab this. It's a plan of how to read through the Bible in a year. You can even break it down into two years. But my challenge to you as people of God, maybe you're not completely into this Jesus thing yet or whatever, this will help you understand. I challenge you as a church to get into the word of God. I also challenge you this church, small group. Are you a part of a small group of people, whether a church-related group or just another group that's an awesome Bible-believing community organization type thing? Are you in a small group where you're sharpening others, where you're being sharpened and studying the scripture? Because if you're not, you're missing 
something beautiful. You're missing an opportunity to have community and to experience God in a deeper way through the relationships with other people. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Are you listening? Does your relationship with your Father drive you? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. You are so good. God, you have done so much for us. We thank you that we can find wisdom from the mouth of a kid. Even Brad Corey interrupted my sermon today, Lord, to tell us about the significance of God's scripture. It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our economic background. It doesn't matter our race or anything like that, God. That we were, we're just all children of God who can worship and serve you, be in your community, be your hands, be your feet. And so, God, I pray that you would help us this day to put petty things aside and to be there for people and, and to grow ourselves and to stop pretending to be something that we're not. If we're hurting, let us hurt. If we're doing good, let us help others. But God, help us to be real this morning and help us to just continue to press forward to home. In your name we pray.